0: Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm the culture editor at The Bulwark, and I'm very pleased to be rejoined today by Kevin Goetz. Uh, now, Kevin's been on the show before. Uh, we had a great chat about his book, Audienceology, how Govers shape the films we love. Um, you you, you got to pick it up on Amazon. It's really, if you are interested in the world of filmmaking and how stuff gets to audiences and how they see it, you, you have to understand what is going on in the uh, the the testing process and uh, Kevin is the master of that, um, and he also has a podcast out uh, called "Don't Kill the Messenger." And I, I will say, look, I don't actually listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm I'm this I'm one of those people who like does more podcasts than they listen to because I just don't have time. But I, I make I make an exception uh, uh, for Kevin's because it's really interesting. He's talking to uh, folks he works with about the movies they're making, the movies they're testing together. Um, the episode with Jason Bloom in particular is is really incredible and just like really he's he, Jason Bloom is an open book. He he uh, feels like he's he, he feels like he's happier to talk about this stuff than just about anybody else. But also there's an episode with Dean Devlin, who folks will remember from uh, Independence Day, Stargate, uh, The Librarian. Uh, you you, you got to check out his podcast. Don't don't kill the messenger. Go there. Uh, subscribe, leave reviews, etc. Uh, it, 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 it's something everyone should be listening to if they are interested in the art and business of filmmaking. Kevin, thank you for being back on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yo, Sonny. I had to say that because I'm a Jersey boy and uh, and from Brooklyn originally. So, yo, Sonny. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> you're, you're terrific.
0: And thank you so much for that beautiful shout out. Um, uh, we're going to get to, we're going to get to, uh, some of the stuff you talk about on your podcast and your book in a second here, but you were just telling me before we started that you, uh, have purchased a new company or purchased another company. Um, you know, you, so you, uh, are, are the, the owner and operator of Screen Engine ASI, which is a big, uh, testing firm, but you also, uh, have picked up coherency. What is coherency? Oh, uh, I'm, thank you for bringing it up. I'm so excited. The press release just dropped today, I think, uh, from
1: a, 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 uh, a uh, podcast uh, point of view, you are the exclusive here. So uh, Coherency is a company we've tried to go after be- even before COVID, then COVID struck, so it kind of put up, uh, you know, a-, a delay in that acquisition. But it's a research and branding and uh, firm, a research and branding agency that specializes in emotional, uh, the currency. So understanding just how much consumers are, love a particular brand or product. And they do a lot of work in Hollywood, but they also do a lot of work outside of Hollywood. So one of the reasons that I thought the synergy was so great is in an industry like ours, where emotional currency is what we trade in, like how could we not add this to our advertising testing, to our, uh, to our product testing, meaning our screenings, our pilot testing, Uh, for the streamers, for linear, for cable. It's so important to understand not just if someone is definitely interested in something, but what is the passion and the advocacy towards that particular piece of content? How much are they going to fight for it? And that is super important in my view to separate uh, the good content from the great content. And you know people say you know at different points in time r- distribution is king marketing is king content is king well content is king but con- but but not just content but great content and great content is content that really lives in that hierarchy that top of the hierarchy of 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 stuff that resonates with you in a visceral and emotional way so i'm really excited to have this company, started by Jeff Maleski, Steve Markov, and Lee Loads, joined Screen Engine ASI, and uh, I know the industry is going to love it.
0: Well, how does it how does it work exactly? I mean, are are we, are we talking about um, uh, you know uh, a a questionnaire after the fact, or is it alive live with dials and people are you know interesting? Uh, yeah, question-
1: they do several things, uh, journeying and uh, and and community chats and things like that. But their primary product is something called the Love Quotient, which was actually uh, born out of one of those matchmaking um, platforms initially. And it has an algorithm, uh, proprietary secret sauce, if you will, that takes through question asking on a questionnaire uh, the consumer's point of view and then is able to put out a score attached to that. Based on emotional responses.
0: Well, that's cool. That's really that's interesting. I'm I'm uh, curious to see how how it you, works. You, in integrating we, we, both it of us level. are. I I yeah. I again. I just uh, you know.
1: I, I it's a, it's it's rare that I get so turned on by a product because we we've so many of us in the business in my end of the business have seen and heard and been pitched so many things, but there's such a uniqueness to this. And it just makes intuitive sense that one of the things we're missing when we're trying to capture, uh, like, uh, is something theatrical versus it is a streamer, for example. Uh, It has to speak in a different way to a consumer, a way in which they're going to leave their homes if it's theatrical to go to a movie theater. That's a call to action. That has to be measured differently than simple, definite interest. And Mm -hmm. so there's where I think this can be an absolute, um, uh, you know, uh, effective tool that can change that uh, that paradigm.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the difference between theatrical and and streaming because that's one of the things I wanted to 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 get to. So let's let's hop to that. When you are when you're looking at these numbers, what are you looking for when you're making a recommendation to a studio or to a streaming network? Okay, this is something that uh you you, you got to get in theaters. This is a this is a thing that's really clicking. Um, and it's clicking on this metric and this metric and this metric. We got to get this in theaters. This, on the other hand, is something people seem to like, but it's not. They're not that excited about it, so let's let's maybe uh, focus on streaming for that. Absolutely. Well, it's a great question, and it's the question of the day,
1: isn't it? First of all, I think that research needs to be conducted earlier than actually once you've um, you've uh, made your product, because there are a lot of economic consequences that can happen if you go the wrong way. That is to say that if you're going to say we're making this as a theatrical movie, there are um, costs associated with that from a marketing standpoint that that could really blow your model. So you need to know very early on before you green light the movie, whether or not it's going to go on the streaming streaming platform or whether it's going to go um, theatrically. And when I say theatrical, theatrical or something else. Right now the something else is mostly a streamer. In the theatrical benchmark now, the the the, the ticket to entry is really uh dictated by a certain level of uh eventizement. Like you've got to create an event around something, whether it is um special effects, whether it's a great director, whether it is a sub a, a star or several stars, whether it's a unanimously great reviewed movie like there has to be something to hang your hat on that is different than so many of the other movies that are not on uh, that are not don't have those elements that don't have those kinds of special hooks. So if you don't have one of those, it's really really difficult. To um, to 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 open theatrically and to justify to make a business argument is why we should spend a minimum of thirty million dollars, let's say, to open a wide release movie. Um, if you don't have the um, the goods, now the movie could be really good. Like I've seen a lot of really good streaming movies uh, that just don't work theatrically. Uh, if you watched The Globes last night, you saw that uh, in, you know, there are several movies that people are like, "What? What movie is that?" But yet they um they they're terrific and they deserve to be seen. They just ha- don't justify a wide release because they're more particular in nature, and they don't warrant spending big money, particularly chasing. Uh, A lot of eyeballs that will never see the movie, which is what you have to do when you're advertising, say, on television, because Mm -hmm. you're not honing in on, right, what that who or that audience is. So there's a lot of wasted eyeballs. So you really want something that is uh, something that's made for either everybody or somebody as a ticket to entry, but not for nobody. And I know it's a Mm -hmm. double negative, meaning. Nobody is more of a movie that has a psychographic behaviors and attitudes as the driving force of the audience. That is to say, they have commonalities in a certain particular uh, thing they like, whether it is French food or whether it is uh, basket weaving uh, or whether it's golf. Uh, You can find these people and you can do it digitally much more efficiently uh, for that type of campaign, but you can't—very difficult—to create what we call reach and frequency in a four-week period to to go wide, unless you 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 spend real money to advertise broadly. So that think about the movies that are released, and you go, would that really warrant spending that? Now, of course, there's exceptions to that because there are limited and platform releases, but I've been pretty vocal about the fact that. Those are those movies are becoming harder and harder to make work because people aren't really watching television right now. They're not seeing those ads. Mm -hmm. So you have to reach them and convey somehow that this is an experience that, again, you need to leave your home to go see in a movie theater. So you need to decide early on before you green light what lane you're playing in so that you can make the movie appropriately. The other thing you have to also do your homework on is who is going to buy. Let's say you most movies are relegated to a streaming service or some other alternative distribution than a theatrical distribution. We only had 71 wide releases last year, for example. This is like half of what they were back in 2000 in the teens. Mm -hmm. Wide, very wide, wide and very wide releases. Uh, But you have to uh, know uh, that. Uh, sort of in advance, um, and y- y- you want to um, you want to uh, make sure that your um, your any money that you're going to put against that
0: is justified. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No, totally. And and you raise a good point here, which is that you know I'll just explain this from my point of view. From my point of view, once upon a time, I had a pretty good idea of. What was going to open and what wasn't going to open? Because I saw all the same ads as everyone else. I saw the ads on TV. Um, I saw the billboards when I was driving. Uh, I saw I saw you know the magazine ads or whatever. Right? I kind of understood basically like this has a good ad campaign. It's going to connect with audiences. They're going to show up. Um, now I have no idea what anybody is seeing anywhere. Uh, you know, people don't watch linear TV anymore, or the the people who do watch linear TV tend to be older who aren't going to movies anyway. Um, Ad campaigns are all uh, very micro-targeted to your Facebook interests, your Twitter interests, whatever else, your ins- whatever you're watching on Instagram. Um, so everybody is seeing something else slightly different. From your from your perspective as a marketer, how hard is that to? Uh, to kind of gauge what will work and who it will work with. I mean, like a movie, let's just take a specific example, a movie like Megan, which came out uh, last weekend, huge numbers, $30 million, big opening uh, for, for Universal, Bloomhouse, all those guys. Um, I didn't see a single ad for that movie. I never saw an ad for it. I think I may have seen only one trailer, but I was intensely aware of it because it had a great viral meme-style marketing campaign. I mean, how do you how do you go to a studio and say, "Well, uh, you could spend forty million dollars on ads, or you could have a gift go viral." I like. I just don't understand well, we, how we it works. Were,
1: we, we did work on that movie, and so uh, in the in the playability stage, and uh, the movie played really well, and people were really humored by it. I've said this before, if you don't have an elevated sense of fun uh and I mean you can actually gauge that. there's questions that we can ask to gauge what that level is. So it's not just like oh that's 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 enjoyable, words like that. But when you say, uh oh my god, this little this friggin doll, you know dances and and is so cool. And suddenly you can feel it. And this is why I'm going back to the coherency measurement of love quotient. Measuring that early on will tell you that you've got something that's going to catch on, whether it's viral, whether you're going to capture it in an advertising, in a commercial or a trailer. You know that that lightning in a bottle, if you will, or that secret special sauce has to be bottled some way. And you have a much better chance to do it when you know that you've got the goods and you got to know and trust people like screen engine ASI that have measurements that can tell you you're not quite at that level or you're way above that level. And I mean, it can go the other way too. You have a movie that is intended to go to a streamer, but my God, people are over the moon about this. They are, when they discover this movie, I worked on something the other night uh, in San Diego, and it was uh, an independent film that just surprised us all. I had no idea, and it spoke to where we are right now uh, in our in our sort of apathy, and in our and it was so feel good, like so feel good. Notice how I even said that I didn't say it was. Oh, it was feel good. It was so feel good. It scored hugely. I believe that the right salesperson and the right studio or streamer or whomever ultimately gets sold to, will recognize that, see those measurements and be able to capitalize and cash in on that. And that to me is what m- happened with Megan. Megan had a cool FN premise and it was really executed well, but it had an elevated sense of fun. And the, I have to say, brilliant, I thought, marketing campaign uh, was able to capture that. And so you have to be able to do that. But what I was suggesting before is, Sonny, is try to get some of that if you can, before you shoot a frame of film. In -hmm. other words, try to capture what that level is. We call it capability testing, which is kind of a it kind of measures the DNA of something, you know. Do hmm. you have the goods or not? And you know, you can only capture so much in a paragraph or two, uh, but nonetheless, well, does, you can give an I, indication.
0: Yeah, sorry to interrupt. How does that work? Actually, how do you how do you do you do you have like a, a, a group of people and you read them a synopsis and you say, okay. "Well, are you, you yeah. interested in that?" Right. Basically, the answer is yes. But <laughs> when you recruit an audi- a, a screening uh,
1: for an audience. We generally, if we don't recruit it blind, meaning it's just this is a new major motion picture studio is releasing this new comedy. And here's a movie qualifier list. If you like these movies, you're probably going to like, you know, that's sometimes how we recruit. But often we recruit with a concept. We recruit with like a, I don't know, a two to three hundred word concept. And that concept is an indication of interest because we can then say to the person hiring us, your recruit ratio is, now what does that mean? A recruit ratio is how many invitations does it take to get one body to show up? Mm-hmm. And that number often is very, very insightful in the the real interest, because we're actually asking people to leave their homes. So what is that conversion rate? We call it a recruit ratio. Now take that same premise and pretend that you're not having a screening, but you're gonna show a concept or two or three or 18 or 20. I do full slates of networks and studios where we test all of their ideas and create a hierarchy based on the concept of buy-in. And you can see really that if you have 50 projects, there may be 10 of them that are really at the high level And 10 that are real stinkers. And when I say stinkers, from a marketing standpoint, they don't have any teeth, the hook that I was talking about. And then you see 30 of them that are in what we call the murky middle. And the murky middle is always the card part. Then we have to step in as the research company and say, how do we then create or suggest or find out ways to move the murky middle to the top or the bottom? So it's a it's a hierarchy system, but it really a picker, if you will. But it gives you an early sense of buy in. And I think that is so important. If it were me running a studio or running a you know, service or whatever, to me, that is the most important thing that I would do, whether they do it with us or not, is to measure uh, what is your capability? What is your potentiality before I shoot a frame of film? That's how it's done. It's done with survey research. It's done with large numbers. It's uh, we work with outside sample companies who do this for a living. And they've they you know who you you're talking, you know, the people that you're talking to are who they say they are. Uh, And we uh, curate them. We set quotas up so that we get, you know, 50 percent males and 50 percent females. And we get, uh, you know, 25% 25% 18 to 24-year-olds and 25, 25 to 34-year-olds and 25, 35 to 49-year-olds and 50-plus. For the other 25%, we know that we do a diverse audience with ethnicity and race uh, so that we're getting a real representation of uh, a particular, um, you know, the American sort of scene. We also do it internationally as well, where we don't concern ourselves with race and ethnicity as much. But then you can also begin to see, okay, maybe it's not testing overall so great, but uh, I'm a streamer and I need a movie for African-American and Asian females over the age of 35. Mm -hmm. This will say, oh, gosh, wow, look how strong. And that movie could be everything, everywhere, all at once, for example, which may not play to the general public as much. And you don't want to just dismiss it out of hand by not having capability, you see? So mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. ways to do that.
0: Yeah. What is a good response ratio versus a bad response ratio when you're, when you're looking at these audience? A, uh, uh, a,
1: a an excellent recruit ratio is about a four to one or better. So, okay. uh, very rare, you know, I remember minions, uh, most recently had like a two to one ratio. <laughs> uh, it was like giving candy to a child, literally, <laughs> uh, a, um, and a, and we call it, we do say it's an easy ratio up to six, uh up to a six. About a seven, eight, nine to 10 is a moderate recruit ratio. Uh, and then 11, 12, 13 becomes difficult. And then very difficult, 14, 15 and above. And we have some that are in their 20s, 30s. <laughs> you know, we've also added, sometimes we have to add financial incentive, whether it is, and and that's you know, I'm, I've always been fine with that because the art of focus groups, if you've ever participated in One sonny where you're asked to come to a facility and you're asked to, um, to go behind glass, you know, and you've got mm-hmm. the people sure. behind you yeah. it and, and, and they're and you're whatever that could be toothpaste or whatever it may be, you're paid 50 bucks, 75 bucks, 100 bucks, you know. And so as more content keeps getting released, the special nature of going to a movie screening has really dissipated. And yeah. so you have to pay people for their time or acknowledge them in some way for their time. Uh, and uh, we've done multiple studies to determine that they don't whether you're paying someone or not paying someone. I say pay. It could be a movie ticket. It could be two movie tickets or something. Right, right. Whether you're incentivizing them or not is irrelevant in how they're actually rating something. Uh, and if, if 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 again, if I was wrong about that, you'd know that every product category would have to do free. Focus groups, which yeah. of course they've never done, uh, so it's uh, right. it, it's it's a very effective way of um, of uh, getting the audience that you want and need to show up because you don't want to just get one group. You want to be able to see those happy accidents. Uh, I remember in my book Audienceology, I talk about this one movie years ago, Betty Thomas directed, called um, Oh um, John Tucker Must Die.
0: And mm-hmm. I remember yep. she
1: got to the screening in Woodland Hills and it was like a, it's, 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 these girls who have the same boyfriend. He's, you know, screwing around on all of them. Uh, so they band together, I believe. And like, yeah, uh, kind of. Chick it, revenge it, flick. Chick revenge there. flick. Thank you. So who's your obvious audience for that? Younger females, right? Maybe older females. And she saw too many older males uh, in the, in the line. And I remember she's saying, what's going on here? We're going to be screwed. This is, you know, and we're like, you know what? Let's just get this. Is, we want to get a, a good swath of sort of everyone and see what happens. And, of course, she had plenty of females and all that. But what happened is the male scored as well as the females. So, in other words, I don't think two guys are going to say, hey, let's grab a couple of ba- beers and go see John Tucker must die. But they weren't going to reject it if the girlfriend or wife recommended seeing it. And they mm-hmm. were going to then say, this is a pretty cool movie. And they saw it much more as a comedy and so that was a very good learning experience at that moment. And sometimes a happy accident can lead to great success.
0: Yeah, one of the, uh, the things that was really interesting in your podcast with uh, Jason Bloom again, uh, the podcast is Don't Kill the Messenger. Go get it on on Apple, folks. I'm, I'm telling you, you gotta listen. Um, but one of the things that was really interesting in that you, you were talking to him about the, uh, the screenings for Get Out. Now, Get Out obviously is one of the huge big successes of our time, um, uh, uh, it it did great cinema score numbers for a horror movie. You know, it's always hard to get those to to test well. Um, but you said in in your in your uh, show with Jason Bloom that it it didn't test well with the audiences, and that was because they didn't they didn't have any marketing aid to let them know what the movie was, and that that's a really fascinating insight to me because it, it is it, we are at a weird time in movies where originals have a hard time. Uh, breaking through, finding an audience because nobody knows what what they're about and nobody wants to take a chance on something. Um, So how do you, uh, what's your point of view on how marketing can help educate the audience and prepare them to enjoy something? Tremendously so. And not only marketing, uh, a marketing campaign, but critics can
1: too. I've seen many, many movies over the years get influenced because critics saying, basically, if you don't like this, you're not in the know or you're not cool. And so if, if you get unanimous, I don't mean good, I mean, like, great, like reviews, that can actually turn someone's opinion. So oh, maybe I need to give this a little bit more thought. Now, reviews are funny because the general public honestly doesn't care that much about reviews. They care about um, great reviews can drive a conversation forward and really bad reviews can almost create a negative uh, downward pressure. But uh, most of the reviews, as you know, are somewhere in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. That's just basically noise to a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. they listen to audience scores more than they listen to critic scores. However, Mm -hmm. uh, for a particular audience, a specialty audience, Critics still matter, and but only if they are unanimously great. You know, I'm talking 85 and above, say on a Rotten Tomatoes type of thing. Uh, now, marketing uh, educates you, initiates you, uh, persuades you if it's really good, uh, and sets you up for the right, uh, the right, um, uh, the right thing, the right. Tone, The right um, – the, the fact that you have the permission to laugh at something that is maybe not overtly funny. A good campaign will, will show that, will communicate that message, and that's really important. The brilliance of Get Out, let me just say – and Jason Blum is on record, so I'm not talking out of school by mm-hmm. ever talking about a particular movie – uh, unless I've gotten permission from the from the people that uh, are that I'm discussing but get out didn't score badly it scored it just didn't score off the charts and the reason for that is many movies that have sort of a uh, dual tonality or have a uh, you know uh, uh, a mixed genre um, audiences can't often peg them into a into a particular lane and so they're a little confused and so they don't necessarily rate the movies as high as they might correct you understand so right. sure yeah. so makes sense right so in the in this in the case of get out get out took such a turn and it was so interesting but people didn't know necessarily what to make of it so that's i think why it didn't score so well they were intrigued by it i imagine they talked about it way after the, 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 uh, the screening screenings. Uh, but I did notice that, um, they were going to have to do some heavy lifting by educating the audience, as you said, very smartly, Sonny, uh, to what they were in for. And I remember doing a lot of different, I think it was, I want to say, uh, Josh Goldstein at the time who, who had spearheaded the campaign and Michael Moses, <clears throat> excuse me, over at uh, at Universal. We also had to speak to, there was a particular um, sense of what the African-American audience, how they saw this movie cu- from a cultural cue standpoint and how, say, non-African-American audiences saw this uh, and their cultural cues. And there are some cultural cue differences, I'm a big believer in not looking at race and ethnicity in the in the in that in that sense and they weren't doing that they were getting smarter than that they were looking at the cues that they could then spearhead advertising that would touch again going back to the emotional response of what resonated on both sides of that equation because clearly it was a movie that was about racism and about that divisiveness and division uh, and if you couldn't tap into that, it was just going to be a generic horror movie, essentially. Yeah. And it was everything but that. It was really a very artistic piece. And uh, it was a very, very interesting movie to work on for the reasons that you brought up, but also to see the success. One wonders today uh, how it would resonate that we have as a as a culture, as a as a society, how we've evolved pro- post post the murder of George Floyd uh, and, the, and the movement that this industry has at least uh, undergone, I think it's been somewhat of a transformation. Uh, I know as a business owner, uh, our attention on diversity and inclusion uh, has been just off the charts uh, and uh, has changed dramatically. Uh, I think that the audiences today Might not see the importance of the movie like they did then. And marketing again fed right into that. At the time, it was the perfect time for that movie to
0: come out. And it really addressed certain issues. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you know, (laughs) one thing you you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, eventizing, eventizing movies and making them a a you know it's either look this is the new MCU movie so it's an event you got to come see it so it's not spoiled for you or uh, you know it's a new horror movie you want to you want to go see it and experience it with an audience. Um, One thing that used to be eventized every year, uh, awards season movies, right? Oscar movies, prestige pictures. and that seems to have gone kind of away. I mean, I, it's, it, seems, it seems that the, the uh, audiences are not excited for these anymore, regardless of how good they are. I mean, a movie like um, 13 Lives, 13 Lives, the Ron Howard movie about the, the rescue of the Thai soccer players in the cave, um, made my top 10 of the year. One of my, one of my favorite movies it is, of the year. Uh, by the way,
1: Sonny, it's extraordinary. I worked on the movie with Ron um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, MGM, um, and it was spectacular. And I'm going to say, because they publicly said this,
0: one of the highest testing movies that we'd ever tested. Right. Well, so here's my question though. Here, you, you've got a movie that tests this great. It's got a great pedigree. It's got great stars. Uh, guys like Colin Farrell are in it. Um, it, it, it has, it just has this, it has everything going for it and it got a limited theatrical release, which is nice, but it, it it's going to, most people are going to see this on streaming. It did, it did not get a, a big wide release. Um, and I'm, I'm curious why, why, why have, how have we lost that ability to again, eventize uh, to use your word, uh, a, a, uh, a prestige, Uh, award season, but also just like very good, thrilling, dramatic picture like this. Well, you use the word,
1: use the operative, dramatic. Uh, This is on no indictment on the movie or Ron, who I consider a friend, uh, or and Brian, also who I consider a friend and Michael Rosenberg and that whole team and all the MGM folks, no indictment at all on them. It's about consumers and consumers, Mm -hmm. customers are seeing dramas as something that they could easily see at home and can experience at home. There's no great cinematic reason to usually go. Uh, There is um, uh, sometimes many people cry at dramas and many people don't like to cry in public. For example, Uh, there's an intimacy about a drama and there's a, sense of i've seen this story before whether it is uh the chilean miners movie in this case this was about um other kids that got caught in a mine whether i saw it in it's not something that feels from its dna that is altogether new and different it is maybe the best version of something that it feels familiar but they're familiar but there is a familiarity to it that people are not called to see this and reviews uh well great as they may be as i said are typically not the impetus for a general audience movie uh they might create that particular audience to go see it but uh, and i don't even know what the what the reviews were on the movie, but I can tell you that I I thought the movie was spectacular. I'm like you. It's on my top 10 list. Um, But like, you know, are people going to leave their homes when you put a movie like 13 Lives next to Avatar? And Avatar is a movie that I went to see last week uh, and um, was blown away by. Now you could say it was too long you could say it was uh it was um you know uh i don't know confusing because there were so many storylines but it was it elevated the cinematic experience it absolutely fed into that for that reason it will be one of my choices probably for the academy award i say probably because i'm not really allowed to say what I'm voting for or not, or denominating, but I will say that there is, we we need. We all should, as Academy members, I think, have a responsibility to say what is sort of elevating our art form? What is elevating our um, our uh, field of motion pictures? And there's no question that Avatar does that. And it's not just good special effects. That would be mm-hmm. absolutely um you know, minimizing uh, James Cameron's vision, and it's you feel something. You you know you, it's, you 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 invest in these characters, and yet it you're immersed in a whole new world. So any drama
0: put that against that, and you answer your own question is it is is part of this I'm sorry to harp on this but it it is really interesting to me I am am I've been trying to figure this out now for 2 3 years what what's going on is is this a uh, is it a function of tv the the rise of prestige tv uh kind of training adults to be like you know what's good is shows like sopranos and mad men and that's where the, like the serious adult drama storytelling is 100% at home.
1: 100% that is exactly what has happened? The great content, the full meal, if you will. If you think of a movie, you've got ninety minutes to two two and a half hours of entertainment. And if you look at that against a white lotus that has whatever it is, eight uh, uh, episodes right. that that are you know, it's just you 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 learn and grow with these characters, and you and you can watch them essentially. Uh, You know, some now they're delaying a bunch um, and uh, but uh, many times they come out all together. So you could watch them over a weekend or something. It's just a fuller meal. And uh, and it's a fuller meal that is quality, uh, that is engaging and that you don't have to leave your home to see. I mean, that really becomes the question. I don't think there's anybody that's in, our, in the movie business who's like, close movie theaters. Like, that would be silly. And we grew up with them. We love them. And people love going to the movies. But they're not going to go to see the see movies like they did when we told them, <clears throat> when we told them, this is what you have to see this weekend. Two or three movies. Here you go. Take it or leave it. Now they're like, If you don't serve me something that I really want to see, I really want to see this. It's elevated fun. It's got a hook. It's got a reason and an experience for me to leave my home. I'm going to stay home and watch something because there's so much great stuff there. So people are going to see – going are still going to go to the movies, but they're going to see far, far fewer films. Yeah, That's not changing. That's not something – there were thirty-something fewer films than the prior year wide releases. That's not going to all of a sudden boost up. Like people are going to get wise to it and understand. So then other folks are going to say, "Well, so they're only going to make superhero movies in ten Well, hopefully that's not all we're going to see. But yeah, they're going to make event-style movies. But there are some great movies. Look at look at that. The, my favorite movie of the year. Well, one of my three favorites, Maverick. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not a superhero movie. It's just a great cinematic experience. And not just for Tom, who I'm, you know, absolutely in love with uh, as a um, as a as a man and as a as an actor. Um, He's just he gets it, you know, and he knows how to do that. Did you see that trailer for Mission Impossible, by the way, with the stunt? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Come on. That's an experience. I can't wait to see that for that reason. You know, they just created this. And then let me tell you another thing that I thought was incredibly theatrical, in my opinion, which was the Oppenheimer movie. Mm -hmm. Now, at the at the core of that, isn't it a drama? But they've managed to now Chris Nolan. People can say, don't just say Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan understands intrinsically what it means to elevate the cinematic experience. He just does. And so as a result of that, that movie, which is a drama, and there could be a documentary on Oppenheimer on any Netflix or any other place, uh, is not the same thing as seeing that and those bombs exploding and the, it's just, how do I say this, cool. And again, I'm hoping that this love quotient is something that can measure that because right now it's really difficult to capture, as you mentioned, that sort of lightning in a bottle. And I'm hoping that we will be able to bring that emotional sort of um, measurement to the table and help people to determine better which way this should go. Because one thing I didn't get to before, which is, all right, we talked about pre-measurement, but now what happens if you made a movie and it scores mediocre in a mediocre fashion? You know, you you, you test a movie, it scores in a mediocre way, and- you uh, don't quite know what to do with it because do I spend the extra 50 million, 60 million worldwide marketing or do I cut my losses? No streamer really wants it. What do I do now? That's a, a scenario that you don't want to find yourselves in. That's a really difficult one because now you're stuck with a really expensive movie that is kind of a feathered fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from a business point of view, you can lose a lot of money. That's why the
0: pre-understanding is so very important, in my view. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Top Gun Maverick because I, I, I you know, I've written about this before. Is it one of you your top the, ten, Sonny? It's, it's in my, it's in my top ten. Uh, and I think, I mean, I think the Academy is insane if they don't, if it's not uh, at the very least nominated for best. Or can game. I just Frankly, say something? Academy, let
1: me talk about the Academy for a second because I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> fan of the Academy. And I, I, uh, um, I've been on the executive committee uh, in my branch, which is the marketing and PR branch for many years until I turned out. Um, I have to take a two year hiatus uh, to be considered on again. But it's not like the Academy votes for these. These are people who are voting their hearts and minds. Now I would say to you, consider filmmaking, as I just mentioned with Avatar, that elevates the art of the cinematic experience. I actually think Maverick did that. So I agree with you. But it's not like we're trying to create ratings for a show. That's not what right. we're doing. We're trying to. Now, that also means on the other side, you don't have to pick movies that have wonderful, weird uh, stories that have not a lot of character development, but there's, you know, you, you got to look at both sides of that. You know, you got to look at both. That's not a great example, but you know what I mean? Something that is very small and and particular.
0: Well, I mean, look, I think
1: criteria is what I mean. I mean, Tar. Totally. Tar is a a great movie, you know, and but, you know, it's not doing it's not doing um, box office uh, business. uh, And one wonders why that is.
0: Well, look. I mean, this is this is my my whole thing. Is I love Tar is my number one movie of the year. No, I love Tar. I loved it. I thought it was great. Honey, um, you and I should hang I because think...
1: you and I agree on
0: <laughs> on so many movies, man. Well, this is, but but if 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 the if the voters of the Academy pick that as best movie of the year, they you guys might as well shut the Oscars down because I like I the the audience. I I understand you don't want it. You're not chasing ratings and and all that. But if the Academy Awards is a showcase for the for, for the business of Hollywood and the great things that everyone's doing, everyone's just gonna tune out. If a movie even a movie as good as Tar, which I love, again, my number one picture of the year, I just I, I can't see it winning best picture for basic practical prosaic know, dude, reasons. Dude, we are, as I
1: said, we are artists working to bring an attention to the most artistic experience. And that could be a small movie like a Hurt Locker uh, mm-hmm. in one year, and it could be a Titanic in another year. I mean, it's yeah. not, or a Forrest Gump, you know. It's like, it's not about we're trying to create a, a reputational. We're, look, we, we have certain things that we're trying to consider. And, and some of the criteria, because excellence comes in many different ways. Excellence just doesn't come in... A, uh, a very particular script. It also comes in extraordinary special effects. It also, mm-hmm. because we're trying to look at the whole world of filmmaking. And in Maverick's case, man, it touched so many of those areas, you know? Fableman's, you know, is a very, very moving story, a very intimate story, something that's out of Stephen's typical uh, wheelhouse in that it it is something that he spoke about last night extremely close to him, took him a long time to be able to get that. And, 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 uh, and as our greatest filmmaker, uh, I won't say whoever, I won't say in our generation, I'd say whoever lived. uh, Mm -hmm. I do think that that's its own hook to intrigue people to see the movie. What went in the mind and makeup and composition of this guy. And it does a really good job of sort of getting under that and, having us figure it out. Uh, And I hope that people, you know, just because they haven't seen it, well, A, will see it, but I hope the Academy also sees that as not just, uh, you you know, if (laughs) it's like, I said this about Woody Allen and and I say it about Steven Spielberg. It's like, imagine the worst movie that either of those two gents make. Uh, You see it only that movie, it would be discovered as, a Great movie, do, do, do you know oh, yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, sure, you just yeah. expect them to hit it out of the park every single time, and I think that that's uh very, very, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, that yeah. you, uh, we can't put undue expectation, each picture has its own sort of special, you know, special thing about it,
0: sure. Totally. All right. Uh, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm running long here. Oh, gosh. Uh, we should, I, know, we I always like to ask uh, at the end if, if there's anything I should have asked, if you think there's anything folks should know about uh, marketing, what's in, what's in theaters, uh, wh- anything else. What, what did I, what did I not ask that uh, you think folks, folks should know about? I
1: think it's uh, more about what you're talking about with the Oscars and um and, uh, and, and let me be an advocate for the audience for a second. Um, the audience is in the driver's seat, okay? And the audience has a lot more uh, sway and opinion than they think. When you're talking about the Oscars, you're talking about a curated group of the best in the motion picture arts who are coming together to decide what speaks to them and as I said, what elevates filmmaking. Audiences have a different barometer. So that's why often the Oscars are not necessarily in sync with the general audience. Because the audience just wants to be entertained in a heightened way and have either, not either, have both an intellectual satisfactory experience but also an emotional satisfactory experience. And if you capture that and you have this elevated sense of fun, a movie will succeed. I have an adage that I've used and we can have a different show on this because it's what my second book, which I'm writing right now through Simon and Schuster called, uh, how to score in Hollywood. It's about getting to the green light and what goes into that and what audience, how do audiences inform that decision? And they really do, uh, and should, uh, and I'm hoping that our people that are greenlighting movies do listen to um, to the to the audience. And as I end every podcast with, I say thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you being part of the movie making process. Your opinions matter.
0: Yeah. Uh, And that is that's a good way to sign off here. Again, uh, Kevin, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Name of the book is uh, name of the first book. I'm I'm glad to hear we're getting a sequel. uh, Is Audienceology: How Moviegoers Shape the Films We Love. Uh, There'll be a link to it in the email. Make sure you uh, click on that. And and the podcast again. Don't kill the messenger. Uh, Again, if you want to understand. Uh, how a uh, th- one of the most important and underappreciated parts of the filmmaking process, the audience test. I appreciate process. you saying underappreciated. Um, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, 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 I, I don't think. I just don't think people think about it. For I mean, it's and this is invisible to audiences probably for good reason. Yeah. You know, but yes. Uh, but but it's 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 it is a must understand if you want to understand the business of showbiz. So uh, check out his podcast and his book. Uh, my name is Sunny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The uh, Bulwark and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. <laughs>